We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mr. Davis, we got some super chats coming up here. We're going to start off here with Rob Osgood. He said, let's face it, anything Notre Dame related will get disrespected in many media outlets. I think he has better toys to play with than ever before, referring to Sam Hartman. In your opinion, what tier will he be at end of season? Ceiling of tier two. I think tier two is the cutoff. I think he has an outside chance to get invited to New York if the season goes right. But everything has to go right. And, you know, Drake May and Caleb Williams are just, sure. you know, a little bit better than everybody, so. everyone else. Sean, and Mike, can I ask Michael you a question? Penix. Can I ask you a question on this real sure. quick before you go sure. to Michael Penix? You could, could you make the argument that Sam Hartman could go out there and win the Heisman this year? And it still doesn't mean he's the best quarterback in college football. No. I mean, yeah. we've talked about what that award means yeah. in a lot of instances. If Notre Dame's 12-0 and 0 and he throws for 3,500 yards and Caleb Williams throws for 4,300 and is the better player, but Sam Hartman's team is better, then yeah. there's a chance Sam Hartman gets the award. So even then, it doesn't guarantee that he's necessarily, if we're talking about talent and impact and those type of things, I would argue yeah. he has a better team around him. Mm-hmm. In but I'm sorry. Go ahead with, with Michael Penix. No, and Michael Penix, in my opinion – uh, reasserted himself into this conversation with his season last year, and he walks back into a very favorable situation with that offensive line, his returning wide receivers, mm-hmm. and the running game that he has. He, Washington's going to put up a lot of points unless something really bad happens from an injury sure. standpoint this year. Yeah, I agree. I think they're going to be a lot of fun to watch. And we keep hearing talk about who's going to win the, the Pac-12. Is it going to be USC or Oregon? And I'm like, why are we not talking about Utah and Washington, yeah, especially man. Washington? Because right. they're going to be better this year with all the transfers they got in. You know, they got the the kid, the Robinson kid from Mississippi State and Daniel mm-hmm. Agata at, at yeah. uh, running back. They they lost one of their offensive linemen. was pretty good. But they've got some guys coming back. You've obviously got uh, Braylon Trice's back. Dude, they walked, be, into, they, they walked into Oregon and beat them last year. Right. Right. <laughs> right. In year one. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, there's um, yeah, there's a there's some uh interesting takes there. 
Mm-hmm. And it's not that USC and Oregon don't deserve to be in the conversation for Pac-12 title. It's like, but we need to also be talking a lot more about Washington, who went 11-2, and two and their losses were by what? Like six and seven points, those two games. And they were kind of early in the season. Mm-hmm. I actually think the Pac-12 is going to be one of the more entertaining conferences in college football this year. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if there's an elite team in the Pac-12 this year, meaning like a team – you know, obviously Caleb Williams could maybe put a team on his shoulders, but just if you look at a whole team, I don't think there's any elite teams in the Pac-12, but I think it's a really good league. You've got, obviously yeah. got the four we just mentioned. You have USC, mm-hmm. you have Oregon, you've got Utah and Washington. I think Oregon State is ascending. I think yeah. the, getting DJ Uyunglele is going to make a lot of sense for them. Uh, they're not going to ask State, him. They played Oregon. They had Oregon yeah. down. Yeah, at that game one, they played nobody, USC. To absolutely, nobody shut down USC the way that Oregon State did no, last year. No. Nobody. They're a quality team. Arizona's ascending. You know, they're 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 getting better. They're still a ways off, but they're at least uh-huh. going to be fun to watch. Uh, it's it's going to be a competitive league. There's a couple bad teams in that league. I think Cal is going to be really bad this year because they lost a <laughs> lot from last year's team. I think they're going to be pretty bad. Stanford's going to be not very good again. They're going to struggle on defense. I don't know what to make of Arizona State, but there's a lot. UCLA is going to be a good football team again. I, you know, we'll see how you know if they can overcome the inexperience of quarterback. But they may not have a fifth year guy like last year. But they've got one of the the prettiest. They're going to have one of the prettiest throwers of the football that I've seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. At some point, Dante Moore. Now, will it be week one, week four, week seven? I don't know when he's going to take over. He's going to take over at some point in time. Absolutely. But you know what they are going to do? They're going to run a football. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think it's going to be a fun competitive league. I really do. I really do. I think I think it is. So that's a it's a good question. I think he's tier two as well. I think there's an outside chance that. He moves up to tier one by the by the standpoint of he's a Heisman Trophy finalist. It could happen. I, I'm not predicting it because I just that's that's quite the that's quite the homerish leap. But it's it's certainly as I've said. Look, if 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 Ian Book can rank ninth in Heisman voting in a year, we yeah. do 15 touchdown passes. If Notre Dame's 11 and one, 12 and 0, and Sam Hartman's got 3,500 yards and 30 touchdowns, guys, he's gonna he's gonna get a lot of Heisman votes. Is yeah. it is it gonna be? Enough to get him to New York, maybe. But I, I just the thing for me for him to win it, Sean, he's going to need almost four thousand yards, if not four thousand yards, and a bunch. And I just don't know if the offense is going to, yeah. you know, know, yeah. So we'll see. But it's going to certainly be. I mean, he should be tier two now. I think the question would be, where in tier two does he end up? I think part of that depends on you know, can Washington build on what they did last year and keep mm-hmm. Michael Penix healthy. Yeah. You know, can Jordan Travis take a leap? Because I think Jordan Travis has another leap he can make as a player, as a passer especially. Mm-hmm. Does he make that leap? Can Bo Nix build on what he did last year? I mean, there's guys in that conversation, in that tier two, that are really good football. And if K.J. Jefferson can kind of have a bigger statistical leap uh, playing for Dan Enos, there's there's a lot of, you know, can Riley Leonard have a big jump in production in year two? He's not in the tier two now, but could he be <laughs> – if he bounces back, you know, I mean, how would you like to be facing him week one? Yeah. Some, somebody mentioned here too. Like I've, I've said this, I think, I think Quinn Ewers has gone from vastly overrated coming out of high school to now being underrated and underappreciated by some people. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, somebody had him like as the number three quarterback and it's like, okay, now, now we're going back to overrating him, but I could see him being in the conversation for tier two at some point time this year. 
And he's got the physical tools to jump into tier one, and he's playing in the kind of offense that should allow him if he can make that jump. I just don't know if this is the year that he does that. We'll see. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm more interested in what he's going to improve. I think that's what about his quarterbacking is going to improve. That's that's really something to think about with Sam Hartman, like playing with this offensive line, yeah. playing with this running game. What yeah. will improve for Sam Hartman? Because you mentioned Jordan Travis, and you talked about how people can look at the game against Florida and say he, had a, he didn't have a good game. I think Jordan Travis was, what, sixth in the nation in yards per attempt mm-hmm. and, like, ninth in the nation yards per reception. So he pushes the ball down the field. Like he's going to get you yardage in big play, mm-hmm. plays. The efficiency is what you want to see from the pocket. Mm-hmm. Because the majority of his big plays come off of him being able to scramble and get outside the pocket and make plays. But inside the pocket, can he become a better quarterback on time, making the right throws, making the right decisions, and make that offense you know click at a different level? Mm-hmm. That's something you – Michael Penix, he can improve, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how is he going to improve? Can he be more consistent to his left side? Because the ball tends to go high when he throws mm-hmm. to the outside to the left. There are always things these quarterbacks can improve. It's going to be interesting to see how all of them can improve. Caleb Williams can improve. He can. That's scary <laughs> to think that he could get mm-hmm. better from the pocket, but he can get better from the pocket. Yeah. So, and Drake may stop turning the ball over. Right. Young man. And, and that'll be the thing for Hartman too, Sean, for me. That'll be a big one for me is that's the one area where I think he could have the biggest jump this year okay. is efficiency, which includes protecting the football. Mm-hmm. That's the thing for me. And so when I, when I look at him, I say, Hey, look, Yes, the 26 interceptions are high, 
you can make all the excuses that you want for the nature of the offense has to carry that team, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But that's something he's going to have to improve upon mm-hmm. at Notre Dame. And then the efficiency, I want to see the yards per attempt go higher, which again falls into what is he being asked to do in the Notre Dame defense offense. Those are all part of the conversation for me. And so to me, when you talk about how can he improve as a quarterback, I don't think that he can physically improve. He is who he is physically, but it's that it's, will this offense allow him to be more efficient as opposed to that, that mesh offense? I mean, he took a lot of hits in that mesh offense too, man. Like he took a lot of hits. He was throwing off his tippy toes at times because he's like right at the line of scrimmage, basically when he's throwing the football, those are the things that you look at and say, Hey, if he can get better there, then he's going to have a chance to be a pretty good quarterback. Yeah. He's going to have a chance to be a pretty good quarterback. So that's where I think he can get better. What do you think he can get better upon this year besides the things we just talked about? I mean, is there anything else that you think he really needs to get better at? Well, I think he's going to get better at his foot, uh, footwork. Mm-hmm. Right? His footwork is really not something that's pressing as right. much. He's going to be asked to do a little bit more, whether it's, you know, rollouts, waggles, things of that nature. So mm-hmm. footwork is going to be very important, in my opinion. And I think he is going to become a better quarterback as far as pre-snap. Because I think the the different look from under center is going to give him a different perspective. And as long as he – I think they're really just going to evolve him as a quarterback, make him more well-rounded as a quarterback. Like you said – He's more athletic than most people think. He's not a statue back there. Mm-hmm. He can push the ball down the field. He can be very efficient, high completion percentage. And on top of that, you know, you get to see him doing a little bit, a little bit more and using that athleticism a little bit more than you saw in Wake Forest. So that's going to be impressive. That's something NFL scouts would probably love to see, especially if he's well, uh, if he does well at it. And then moving forward. You know, I think his deep ball is going to be something that people are really going to say, okay, Mm -hmm. right? You know why? Because you haven't seen a lot of completed deep balls in Notre Dame in a long time. So (laughs) if you see see more than five in this season, it's probably going to stick out a little bit more than it probably should. But yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, that's that's I'm with you on that one. Brock Fanville says, do you guys buy or sell the ridiculous hype LSU fans have for their team? Why or why not? Also, love you guys. I'm always watching. Go Irish. Thank you very much for that, Brock. Thank you very much for that and for your super chat. We appreciate mm-hmm. you. So LSU fans, what what is the hype that LSU fans have for their team this year? That they have a shot to play for a national championship? Is that basically the hype? Hey, that's – I don't have a problem with that. They're coming off a season where they beat Alabama, so – yeah. Won the SEC West. Yeah. I don't think they're a title contending team, but they've got a they've got a very good quarterback situation. I think in some instances, some of their departures were gonna are gonna end up being sort of addition by subtraction from <laughs> uh buying in standpoint. Uh-huh. You're gonna be near two of the systems. Like a lot of things that we've talked about how why I think the defense for Nareem is gonna be improved. You have to also point to the LSU defense and say, I think they're going to be improved from last year too, because again, year two of a system and all those mm-hmm. types of things, you know, guys being more comfortable with the coach, the coach being more comfortable with the players. I don't think you're going to have a Tennessee type of team this year that is just going to obliterate them that way. There's just not that bad matchup for them. So do I think LSU is a title contender? No, because I don't think their head coach is capable of winning a championship. 
if I was an LSU fan and I didn't know the history of Brian Kelly the way that you and I know the history of Brian Kelly, and you look at the talent they have, mm-hmm. why would you not be thinking about that this time of the year? Yeah, I'm fine with that. I just – if they knew what we knew, then there would be a little bit of hesitation of, uh, you know, can they really get over the hump? But they've yeah. got a lot of talent, and they got talent at the right spot, Sean, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. Getting Logan Diggs was a really good pickup for them because that was one of the big question marks of their offense is do they have a running back and go out there and be that guy? Now, the only concern I would have if I was them is you know, Logan has been banged up a little bit during his yep. career. And he proved it. Yeah. So <laughs> he might want to carry it 30 times a game, but <laughs> but he shouldn't. Mm, he shouldn't. No. So that'll be that'll be the question mark. But look, honestly, I have no if we're if we're being honest about it, sure. And, and then you look at Georgia and you're thinking, man, they lost a lot. We beat Bama last year with Bryce Young. Mm-hmm. Why would you, and Will Anderson, why would you not think that you can beat him again this year? Now, I, I mean, I, I, I can't think of a reason why, Sean, that if I wasn't a fan of LSU, I wouldn't be excited about this team. No, you should. So, yeah. I should. What do you where where do you uh, see that's the thing is like I, I feel that way if I'm projecting as a non-LSU fan, I think they might take a small step back this year, but their record may not reflect it a ton because of the, the makeup of their schedule. And that's always that's always like I've said this about Ohio State. Ohio State could end up being a better team than they were last year and mm-hmm. have a worse regular season record. Yeah. Just because of the nature of, well, I think Notre Dame's going to be better. You got to go to Notre Dame. You've got to go to Michigan. You get Penn State at home. You could end up being a little bit better team and 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 not have your record reflect it. So when I look at LSU this year, Sean, their record's not. I mean, their schedule. They got to play Florida State in Orlando. They got to play at Mississippi State, at Ole Miss, at Alabama. Like they could still lose two games in the regular season and still be a better team than they were last year in the regular season. So uh, I could see that too. And that's the thing for me is they, they got to show me that they can run the football more effectively from the running back position. They got to show me that they can limit the big plays. But again, you know who they don't have to face this year? Forget Tennessee. They don't got to face Hendon Hooker this year. And with all due respect, when I look at that schedule, I don't see a Hendon Hooker in there. Best The, the best quarterback they're going to face is Jordan Travis, who's very good. But after that in the opener – I mean, who's the quarterbacks that if you're if you're if you're them that you're worried about if you're LSU? Is it Will Rogers? KJ Jefferson, but you get him at home. Is it Spencer Sanders or Jackson Dart? Mm-hmm. Is it what, what's the kid at uh, Oklahoma's quarterback? Is that is it Brady Gabriel? Who you said at Oklahoma? No, uh, um, I said Oklahoma, but I meant Missouri. Okay. Is it Brady White? Is he or did or Brady Cook or did they have somebody transfer in? I'm so not sure. Missouri's not going to have it. Auburn, no. Army, no. Tyler Buckner, Ty Simpson at Alabama's uh, not. That's not. Uh, they do Bryce they play? Young. Do they play at Ole Miss this year? They do. Yeah, they do. And if they you play. watch that game for a half, Jackson Dart and Ole Miss played well, really well at LSU. I would argue. Also, too, Sean, to your add-on is if KJ Jefferson isn't hurt in that game against oh, Arkansas, they definitely beat LSU. Yeah. So, but that's my whole point is they could be a better team this year, mm-hmm. and their record not reflect it. Yeah. And you know that that's the that's the reality of it because they they got some 
they got some breaks last year, a little mm-hmm. bit, if we're going to be honest, in the regular season. <laughs> they got some breaks. And they earned some, too. I mean, they yeah. earned they earned the win over Alabama. They did. Yeah. It was a ballsy call by Brian Kelly going for it on fourth down. Yes, it was. Very ballsy call. Because you're thinking you're at home. You've got them. You know, you scored. Kick the extra point. Go to go to overtime. But so now we're gonna we're gonna win this thing right now. I had no problem with that. No problem with that. So we'll see. But that's how I'd feel if I was an LSU fan. Michael Collins says, "Has Notre Dame definitively moved up from taking a second quarterback in this class? Thank you. Moved uh, on from. I have heard no mention from anyone that I've talked to about Notre Dame taking a quarterback in the twenty four class. I think if they're gonna look no. for." Uh, additional depth in the 24 season, it'll be going to the portal and finding another guy would be the other would be. Now, could that change in February if a guy leaves in the winter and one portal guy isn't enough to, to you know, let, let's just say one of the two returners leaves after the season, Sean. Let's say, you know, whoever wins, Kenny Minchie or um, – whether it's Kenny Minchie or Steve Angeli, whoever wins that battle, the next the other guy transfers. So just for argument's sake, and then you lose Sam Hartman. Could you be in a situation where maybe then you do it? Sure, but as of now, I've heard no mention of them going after a second quarterback. All right, here's one for you, Sean. Michael Collins says if Hartman stays healthy all season and Minchie is QB two, would you play him in more or less than four games? Presuming it's all mop up minutes. This is a this is a very fair question. Well, you know my belief, elite program, your freshman quarterback should be capable of starting a game in November, if need be. Doesn't mean he has to, but he should be able to go out there, start a game, and be serviceable. That's development. And now you have a quarterback coach for the first time in a long time at Notre Dame that is directly tied into Ed Jelly. And Guduli. I mean, not Guduli. But Guduli is tied into Angeli and Minchie. So, mm-hmm. yes, I expect, you know, both of their ascents to be at a point to where they can start games. Hopefully they won't have to start anything because of injury. But, yes, in November, definitely get them some playing time. I would expect early in the season that Angeli would get the, you know, second string minutes, you know, Tennessee State game. Navy game, first three games. If they get up big, Steve Angeli should get those ticks. Once it gets to the second half of the season and you see Kenny Minchie coming on, I would definitely think Kenny Minchie will get more tick in games where they have some blowouts later in the season. The question would be, for me, is it comes down to this. It comes down to do you value that red shirt enough with CJ Carr coming behind him to say, if Kenny's going to have a chance to, to beat out CJ Carr and hold him off, he's, he's not going to, he's going to need as much up. So if we can get him six games of experience, you get him six game experience. This is assuming that there's no injury. I would tend to lean towards no. I think there's not a huge difference between six games of mop up duty and four games of mop up duty to me. So I think the only way that I would go beyond is if he does get, if there's a like a two to three game stretch where he has to be the starter, just because of the. But then the counter to that is, and this is why to me it's not an easy argument is, but how many quarterbacks are 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 three year starters now? I mean, fifth year go to fifth year seniors nowadays. 
And if if Kenny is good enough to beat off hold off CJ Carr, then he's going to mm-hmm. be really good. And what are the odds he stays for even three more years beyond this? Or does he just start twenty four and twenty five? He's gone, and then CJ takes over. That's that's you know, do you really want to have him get that extra year? Or you know what I mean? There's there's so many layers to this, but I would I would lean towards Notre Dame if I'm if I'm in the situation, barring there being an injury. I'd probably lean towards him playing four or less. And the final decider for me would be if he gets beat out by CJ Carr and decides to transfer, I want to make sure that he has that year saved. I don't want him to leave. I want him to stay, but this is the reality of coaching in college football in the modern era. And you got to do right by kids. So as long as you feel he's getting the work needed to compete that next season, which I think four games does that, then I would say save the year just just in case he does decide he gets beat out and you say, look, we understand, you know, you want to leave. Mm-hmm. He doesn't lose that year of eligibility because at the end of the day, I don't think five, six, seven mop up games gives you a whole lot more experience and preparation than four mop up games. Sean, I don't know what your thoughts are on that last part. I, this is me. I'm looking at it more from what do I want going into next year? What I don't want is I don't want the thought of C.J. Carr having to play to even be on the table. I don't even want that on the table. So now, and these are conversations that the coaching staff going during the middle of the season, they're going to start to have. He's gonna, Marcus Freeman's going to sit down with Gino Gadula and say, yo, we're focused on this season, but, you know, these are the kids we're looking at in 25. Right. We already have a guy in 24. Hey, they decided to go into the portal during the season. Last year, they made the decision, you know what, we're going to have to go to the portal. So with all of that being said, it's going to be an ongoing discussion, and you'll watch the development during the season. And if it gets to a point where Gadouli says, yo, this time next year, he'll be ready to go. Mm -hmm. He should be ready to start. Then you have to decide – you know, look, we want to get him ready for next year, but let's just get him in to get some live bu- some live bullets, get used to the game, knock the rust off. And that's what you're really talking about. Because at this point, I think you and I both believe as things advance that eventually Kenny Minchie is going to elevate himself in the quarterback room. That's my opinion. Others might differ. But, you know, for me, Kenny Minchie, at some point, you would love to see him. But if you never see him on the field, that still has nothing to do with his development. Right. That's the beautiful thing. Like, seeing him on the field does not mean that he won't be ready and won't be a good quarterback next year as a South. Right. Doesn't mean anything. You know, it's all about how they want to go about uh, using the plan that they have in place for him and for other quarterbacks in that quarterback room. So. You know, I don't want to want to attach his development to seeing him on the field because he could he could actually develop very well, and they could just say, you know what, let's just let him go through the fall. I mean, let him go through uh, not fall, but bowl bowl prep. Sure, you know, and that's where we'll elevate him during the bowl prep. You know, and then from there into the spring, we'll increase them a little bit more. And then by the fall. But it's all about the plan. 
This is yeah. why having Gino Gadulli is gold right now because yeah. it's his job to come up with a plan. He can just focus on that. Absolutely. I, I would I would kind of I think the premise that you that you said to me is very important. People need to understand that a quarterback is going to get far more value from what happens Monday to Friday in practice from the beginning uh -huh. of the season to the end than playing mop-up minutes at the end of a game. Mm -hmm. The only thing I would push back on is I, I believe if he's the backup quarterback, if he elevates to be the backup quarterback, then you should play him. And he should get minutes. So, like, if he's the number two quarterback, I'm not playing Steve Angeli to, to, to not have him be seen this year. No, 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 no. Well, I said by the end of the season, yeah. I expect him – Right to elevate himself in the and quarterback. then he needs to play yeah. because mm -hmm. it's and it's not just about the mop up minutes, but it's the the notion that if you're the number two quarterback, you're getting a lot more reps against running mm -hmm. your offense than you are for the number three quarterback. Yeah, yeah. Because then it's like sixty thirty ten, as opposed to sixty. You know, are are you in the thirty or are you in the ten? The ten. Yeah. Which one do you want to be in? And honestly. Even if he is in you know, the guy that I think is my backup quarterback, I'm not going to lie to you, Sean. I would have him running down there, run a scout team offense the week of NC State and the week of Ohio State. Mm -hmm. I think those are things too for me, at least for two days, and then get it back up there with you on Thursday, something like that. I think those type of things could be very valuable for Kenny because it's an intense week, and it's like you're running a scout team. You better be locked in this week. And I think those are also player building experiences that you can give a freshman that you're not really expecting to play to where it's not the same as a game, not even close to the same, but if you're having to run around and be chased by your defense all week, the NC State Ohio State game, you've been in some high where your blood pressure has been raised a little bit in a way that you just don't get as the, the quarterback on the number two offense in practice. You know, where if the scout team, if the starting, if the scout team defense hits your quarterback, <laughs> that's a, somebody's getting ripped. If your starting defense hits your quarterback, it's like, hey, stay uh -huh. up, don't hit the quarterback, nice play. You know what yeah. I mean? So there's just an intensity level there that's different than being the number two in things that I think could kind of – because my, you know what my biggest fear with Kenny Minchie is, Sean? My biggest concern is sometimes I wonder, is he too calm? Is he too poised? You know what I mean? Like I want to see him in situations, if I'm Notre Dame, where his blood pressure has to get raised a little bit and see how he handles it. You know what I mean? Does he does he is he able to raise his level of you know where he's just not out there spinning it all beautiful? But there is that level of okay, guys, I got this. You know, and I think that's going to be a part of his development. It's going to have the same thing about CJ yeah. Carr the next year. It's like I don't want CJ Carr being starting quarterback in twenty twenty four unless no. he's clearly your best guy, right? And then it's like, hey, you know, it's not ideal, but we got to do what we got to do because he's our best quarterback. You know, and um, but have a plan and i think that's the part that you nailed yeah. sean is that you've got to have a plan mm -hmm. you've got to have a plan when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply this is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. 
and he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, here's, um, let's go now to, uh, we got a two-parter from Michael. And this is kind of along those lines, but it's about CJ Carr, but a uh, recruiting question. Because obviously CJ Carr committing to Notre Dame as early as he did, as well as being a face leader of the 24 class has paid huge dividends. Do you see a situation occurring for the 25 class with Deuce Knight or someone else? I personally feel that it's very important to any class moving forward. Thanks, guys. So basically the premise of, I think the thing is like Kenny Minchie didn't have an opportunity, Sean, to be that face of the of the class because he was one of the last guys to jump in the class. <laughs> right. You know, like, Dante Moore had a greater impact on who Notre Dame signed last year than yep. Kenny Minchie did. Fact. And but you've seen the benefit of it. I mean, we're 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 Marcus Freeman's head coach of Notre Dame, and and we're concerned about the defensive recruiting right now. Offensive recruiting is a juggernaut. Now we talked about it last week, Sean. I believe that was a show you and I did. Mm-hmm. But it's partly on Marcus Freeman hired really good recruiters on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. Tom East did a nice job. Jared Parker's picked up and just run with it. Gino Gadulis mm-hmm. did a nice job building on what Tommy did by getting CJ Carr and having Cam Williams, you know, Chancey Stuckey's rolling. Jared Parker's done well with tight ends. Joe Rudolph, if he can get Gearby Lambert, I like where they're trending there. All of a sudden, in a year that's a down year on the offensive line, you're going to get a pretty good class. Pretty good class. Coach yep. Eastan did a great job recruiting the offensive line last year, in my opinion. He made great hires of coaches and recruiters. Right, that's part one. But let's not kid ourselves and act like having CJ Carr in the class as the first offensive kid in the class has not played a role in what they've done. Yeah, it's been a huge role. Even when you lose kids, let me impress upon that it's not just the effect of the kids you get in the class, it's the kids that gave you the look, the serious look that other kids are watching, the buzz on the seven on seven circuit, like kids talk. They talk all the time, especially now with social media. Like all of these kids pretty much know each other. A kid in Naperville, Illinois, will have a great relationship with a kid in Los Angeles, California. (laughs) Just from the 707 circuit, playing against each other, having each other's IG, talking on the phone, playing video games against each other. Like the world of recruiting is really small now. Like all of these kids know each other. So Mm -hmm. I'll give you a perfect example. I think – Jane Bradell has been open and honest about playing with CJ right. and how it yo it intrigued him. Mm-hmm. Like, man, man, this would be cool to play with him at Notre Dame. Ultimately, he ends up at Georgia, but that's a kid whose quarterback is Dylan Rayola. Absolutely. Number one right. quarterback. So right. He went to some school that's like, well, he was gonna play with CJ. Now he's playing with some kid we've never heard of. I mean, right. right. Yeah. So and there was a greater pull for CJ Carr for Jaden Riddell's interest than no, anything about Notre Dame, yeah. especially at the end. Yeah. That was all about CJ. Yeah. When he talked about scheduling the visit, which didn't have high expectations it was going to happen, but it was more about that's just, that's all CJ right yeah. there. That, yeah. That's all CJ in yeah. that case. Now, the question is can Deuce Knight and somebody else have that impact? I think so. I, you know, I, I think so. It, it'll be a little different because deuce is from mississippi not two hours down the road in ann arbor yeah so he so won't he be, be on campus, campus as much yeah. right he won't be like every home game like cj was just about every home game last year 
But as far as draw, especially with the Southern kids, because he's he is a Southern kid, it could have an impact. I think a kid like Blake Hebert could have an impact, especially if he keeps going up the rankings. He's ranked as the number sixty-five quarterback in the country right now, according to On Three. I think other services, as the more they see him, are going to should anyway jump him up the rankings. Yeah. The problem with a kid like that would be if he if if he was to pick Notre Dame, would he pick? And I'm not saying he is because Penn State's in that game too, and they just offered him two days ago. I'm just saying like that's the. Those are probably the two most realistic right now is Deuce and Blake Hebert. You, you hope that he kind of jumps up the rankings before he commits <laughs> because if he commits, there's no way rivals in 247 raise him up the rankings if he's already committed to Notre Dame, yeah. which can have an impact. But if he's a guy that's out there on the seven-on-seven seven circuit, because that's the thing that helps CJ too, Sean, is he's out there on the seven-on-seven seven circuit, and these right. kids see him play. So forget the rankings. Like I don't know what the rankings are, but this kid can spin that ball as good as anybody. Yeah, I don't know that Blake Hebert is going to do that. I'm, I'm pretty sure Deuce is doing a lot of that stuff. I believe. So that's going to be a big part is how in how out there and in around the other top players is that quarterback uh-huh. is another big part of it. Yeah, and so it's going to be hard for anybody to have have CJ's impact because of the combination of him being a highly ranked recruit, the name recognition of Carr, and then also the fact that he is always you know up until seven on seven this summer i mean like all last season all winter he was always around when big time kids were on campus and he'll be that way again in the fall as well that's gonna be a little tougher with a guy that's further away in my opinion no yeah, matter how he seems to be, but he seems to have a really let me ask you something I, we might have seen two recruitments i'll use carter nelson and deuce knight 124 125 well, the relationship with the position coach ends up being very important. When Deuce Knight was on campus, it was very apparent. Like, I don't want to say above and beyond, but maybe you—you you could tell that Gino Gaduli had identified him, and this is before he started picking up all. Like, he just picked up the Alabama offer. This weekend. So everyone else is starting to jump on board. But this is early in the process. And it was pretty much what the Mississippi schools, Notre Dame, Tennessee, maybe a couple other schools. And you could just tell from just watching practice that, yeah, he has a, his relationship with Gino is very similar to the relationship with Jared Parker and Carter Nelson, which, in my opinion, I feel like he's eventually going to give Notre Dame the edge in this whole recruitment thing because it's one thing to like Marcus Freeman. You talk about this, Mm -hmm. but when you have that relationship with that position, that's why Chancey Stuckey must be applauded. Mike Mickens has to be applauded. It's like, yeah, kids are coming because they like Marcus Freeman, but these wide receivers, they love Chancey Stuckey. Yeah. These defensive backs, they love Mike Mickens. And so it goes a long way to what you just talked about with Marcus Freeman hiring really good coaches, but hiring really good recruiters as well. So that's why I'm so amped at what we heard about the Gerby Lambert situation with Joe Rudolph, because that was the question. This is like, okay, this is the first time we get to see who he is as a recruiter, especially with big time talent. Right. In a recruitment where you've kind of fallen behind yes. for, for various reasons. Absolutely. Yeah. And then when you got the feedback that we got, it was like, okay, this is great yep. news. Like, 
It's not even about the kid. This is great news right. about him as a coach. Right. You feel confident moving forward. It should be all right. At 25, absolutely. That right. Notre Dame should be all right. Because I don't question him as a developer of talent. Right. That's never been the issue. He's at least going to be – I think the only question I have for developer of talent is, is he elite? He's at the very least good. Uh-huh. And this is the point that I've been making. There are questions about Jeff uh, about Jeff Quinn, about Joe Rudolph <laughs> in view of holding him to the Harry Heastan standard. Right. That should be what every offensive line coach is based on. Can mm-hmm. you bring the success that Harry Heastan and Joe Moore had when they were in their prime? And actually, I think I, that's that comment's more for Joe Moore than it is for Harry Heastan because last few years of Joe Moore, I mean, you know, they weren't as great, right? Right. But uh, Harry was kind of the success was always there. The, it's it, it's not comparing him to Jeff Quinn mm-hmm. or even Ed Warner, who was a solid offensive line coach. It's to that degree. So whenever there's a question that we have about Joe Rudolph, it's how is he in relation to how good Harry Heastan was mm-hmm. as a developer? Yeah. He's a significantly better coach than Jeff Quinn, in my opinion, as a developer of offensive linemen. So that part's not what we're talking about. It's it's the it's the other standard. And that's my only question is, is he going to be an elite developer of offensive linemen? Yeah. You know, is he going to be able to take some of the more raw athletic kids? Because like at Wisconsin, the kids he had that were raw, they were maybe raw technically, but they were guys that more of the strength coach was going to have a bigger say. Because it was like some 255-pound mm. kid, you know, that was a tough mauler and all that kind of stuff. But he was getting the try-hard guys at Wisconsin in a lot of instances is who he was putting out there. Now, some of those guys were, you know, he had some guys that were ranked high. But have we seen him develop a Styles Prescott type of player, mm-hmm. a Gearby Lambert type of player, an Anthony Knapp type of player? That I don't know what we've seen yet. But, again, that's comparing him to the Harry Heastan standard. And, and that's a different those kind of guys at point. Talk about that a little bit, B. Because I think I think people might not really understand the intricacy of what you're saying right there. Because yeah, it's, it's just, just taking, like the example of Harry Heastan and getting across the Blake Fisher, right? The way he was able to get and across Ronnie Stanley and Ronnie Stanley Big and, St- and uh, yeah. Mike McGlinchey, who yes. came in as basically kind of like a tight end. I mean, right? Like Quentin Nelson came in, and you're like, that guy's pretty good. He'd been coached well in high school. You need work, but like yeah. now it's just get the most out of him. Lee and Meikenberg came in as a came in as a pretty well coached high school football. Robert Hainsey yeah. was very advanced from a, yeah. a, a technique and coaching standpoint. <laughs> then there's guys like Ronnie Stanley, who's basically kind of like a basketball player, <laughs> you know, very raw. Mike McGlinchey, who had, was another basketball player who like played some tight end in high school. You know, those guys are a different type of development than a Sam Mustafer. And Alex mm-hmm. Bars. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, Alex Bars need to be coached up, but Alex was just about, hey, just build on what you've already established. He, you know, he comes in relatively well coached as a, for a high school kid. You know, it's the strength coach is the one that's going to really have the big impact for Alex Bars and guys like that. Then you have those guys that are really athletic and have a lot of raw tools. So, like at, at Wisconsin, look, I, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but like Wisconsin, they get a lot of kids from in state. That's a really good state for high school football from a from a quality programs. Now they don't have elite athletes, but there's a reason that the Wisconsin Division three level is always so good, and it's not just mm-hmm. one team. Yeah. There's like four or five playoff caliber mm-hmm. teams a year. That they benefit from two things. Number one is there's no one double A in Division two really in the state, and so there's not like Ohio. You've got you've got 
Division One AA teams. You've got you've got Youngstown, you've got Dayton, you've got Ohio Dominican, you've got a lot of those type of programs. Plus, like ten, not ten. It's like what? It's like six or seven Division One teams. Right? It's Ohio State, Cincinnati, Ohio, Akron, Kent State. Um, did I say Cincinnati? Or Toledo? No, Toledo. You know, you've got that, and so you know, it, it it's just it's a little different animal. And you look at some other states. There's just like programs in all levels. Right in Virginia, there's there's Division One teams. Virginia, Virginia Tech. In Virginia, there's also Richmond, Women Mary. There was James Madison back in the day when I was there. You had Old Dominion was a one double A team back when I was there. Uh, then you had your Division Two teams. You had Virginia State, Virginia Union. You know teams like that. Then you got down to the Division Threes. North Carolina is very similar. In Wisconsin, it's basically Wisconsin and the D three programs. That helps. What also helps is there's some really good quality high school coaching in the state. And so you're getting a lot of these kids like that are that are that are maybe not the the elite athlete that a Ronnie Stanley is, but they're tough kids that are 260 that know how to play. And your job is to build them to the next level. But it's really about your strength coach has got to be the one that really gets them to that point because they're pretty mm-hmm. ready-made products. But but he didn't have a ton of those really raw highly athletic, highly ranked guys like the Mike McGlinchies, the Ronnie Stanleys, the 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 um the Styles Prescott's and Gearby Lambert's in this class. He wasn't getting those guys. He wasn't getting a Charles Jagasaw who just had elite tools. He just needs to be taught how to play offensive line at that elite level. That's a different type of development. And that requires a lot more breaking down and then building up. Where when you're getting these Ohio kids who are well coached or these Illinois kids that are well coached from some of those programs or more so the Wisconsin kids that are well coached. It's mm-hmm. kind of like they have a general understanding of what they're doing. Now it's, you know, they're coming in with good football one-on-one skills. I need to now teach them next level. And then the strength coach has got to get, you know, 30, 40 pounds on them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas when you look at a kid like Styles Prescott, he's not even showing up with the football one-on-one really. Yeah. And I don't mean that disrespectfully in this high school program. It just means like he's super raw. Uh, when you looked at Mike McGlinchey, he was it was just a different animal. Ronnie Stanley played in a great program, but he was very raw. He had to break down some stuff because he was so physically gifted, he could get away with stuff that a kid with le- that's the other part too. Is the, the less talented kid, even in high school, can't just get away with being better than that guy. Right. He's got to have some good technique. Whereas Ronnie Stanley in high school could just dominate you and have not a clue what he's doing. You see that with Styles Prescott, he'll just eat a pass rusher up. And you're like, that was horrible technique. But he <laughs> destroyed that guy. You know what I mean? Uh, Gearby Lambert's got some of that. Like, man, he he doesn't really know what he's doing yet to the level he needs to, but he yeah. just dominated that guy. Yeah, He wasn't getting that kind of guy. It's not that he can't do it. It's just a different deal. And I need to see that he can do it is the question mark for me. But he's just going to be working with a much higher level of talent. You know, like, Sullivan Absher is another example, a guy that's coming from a completely different type of offense, super toolsy, but can you break him down and then build him back up as opposed to a Sam Pendleton who comes in pretty much like well-coached, comes from a really good program, knows how to play. You got to refine stuff, obviously, yeah. but now it's just about build on the strong foundation that you inherited. Yeah, there, there's That's the difference. Joe Walt, came in knowing how to play offensive line. The, and this is no disrespect to, to Jeff Quinn, because I will say the same thing about Harry Heastan. The biggest beneficiary to Joe Walt being successful 
when you go back and look at it, it's going to be it's three people. Well, sort of God, John Alt, and Matt Bayless. Right. I mean, those are the you know because yeah. not that the O line coach isn't important, but the need that Joe Walt had from a position coach is a whole different animal than what Blake Fisher needed from his position coach. Right. And, and what Sullivan Absher is going to need from the position coach who are the raw toolsy kids, but they need a lot more development where Joe Walt's like, Hey man, my dad's in the ring of fame. He's taught me how to play offensive line. You can you know, teach me what you're doing here, but I know how to yeah. play this game. Right. Right. It's just a different animal. He had a lot more Joe Alts at Wisconsin. Not, you know what I mean? Like just the kids mm-hmm. who already knew how to play the game. Yeah, that's not to take away from what he did. He did a very good job because high school coaching and Big Ten West champ coaching is a different animal, but it's just <laughs> the baseline is so much higher and it's just a different type of deal. Yeah, Where when you've got to take down those those raw pony, you, you got to break that stallion. That's a whole different animal than Man. a horse that's already kind of has an idea of what he's doing. You know what I mean? Yeah, but if you can break them and get them right, boy, you're exactly. in the winner's circle. Exactly. <laughs> You're in the winter circle. And that's where the ceiling is higher. And if he yeah. can prove to do that, Sean, then he's going to be just fine. He's going to yeah. be just fine. So it's a, it's a more of an unknown as opposed to, gee, I don't think he can do it. Yeah. It's just, hey, I need to see that he can do it at this level. Yeah. We'll, we'll find out. But, uh, but we had that question about Chancey Stuckey last year, and he answered the bell. He you know, we had that question about Mike Mickens. Okay, we saw him do it at Cincinnati. Right. But can he do it here? Right. Well, yep. Yes, he can. <laughs> you know, Dela McCullough did a great job identifying those those under the radar kids at, at Texas. I mean, at, at Indiana, and then coaching them up. Could he go recruit top players from around the country and coat and get them? Oh, yep. Question answered. You know, and and so so far so good with those hires. And you hope that Joe Rudolph is the next in line in that regard. <laughs> The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. 
Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com 